Welcome to Stockholm Food Movement Podcast, part of Sweden in Transition podcast series. In a world in need of urgent reinvention, they decided to do things differently and explain why. I am Sonia Lehmann and today we meet Andrea Stover, founder of the Stockholm Food Movement. For almost three years, through the support of Impact Hub Stockholm, she has been arranging a monthly event where she showcases a handful of activists and entrepreneurs making positive change within all things related to food. Hi, Andrea. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. Sweden in Transition believes the world needs urgent reinvention. What do you think of that? I absolutely agree that the world needs reinvention. When I think about climate change, for instance, we've known that climate change has existed for three decades, and yet we have made very little measurable impact on it. We remain totally fixated on growth and this idea of quantity over quality, more instead of better. And that has just wreaked havoc on our environment um, and also on our social systems. It has created a lot of inequality between the haves and the have-nots. It has created corporations that have so much wealth. They have much more wealth than many of the countries that are supposed to be representative of the people and what, what they want. And so we just have an environment and a social system that is increasingly vulnerable. And we need to figure out a way to reinvent the system so that we can empower communities. We can really support real competition and not these massive monopolies. Figure out ways to... Give the power back to the people, I guess. <laughs> How did you decide to create the Stockholm Food Movement? I am originally from California. I studied geography in undergraduate at University of California, Berkeley. Geography really exposed me to a lot of the problems the world faces, a lot of the injustices. Then I got my master's in public administration and sustainable management. So my plan was to work with government to come up with policies that would create better systems. But while I was doing that program, I met a Swedish man and we uh, fell in love and I moved to Sweden and... I don't speak Swedish, so I haven't really been able to work for the Swedish government, but I found Impact Hub Stockholm. I was head of events, and Kathy Zauchen, who uh, works with me on Stockholm Food Movement, she is a masterful marketing and communications expert, and we both share a passion for food. I'm more interested in sort of the production side and how that making a change there can have a real impact. And she's really interested in creative ways to reduce food waste. We decided that we should have not just one event, but an ongoing series of events. And it became Stockholm Food Movement. Why do you think food has a central role to play in the transition we have to make? The way that we grow food arguably for 10,000 years, has been very degenerative and extractive. We haven't really understood the way that soil is important in how we can create nutrient-dense food. And we've been destroying topsoil for 10,000 years and then accelerating that process in the last 100 and 150 years. 
So especially in, you know, in the 1950s, 60s, we had the Green Revolution. And it was basically because we came up with a way to take nitrogen out of the air and make it available to plants. And it's a highly energy-intensive process. And even today, in order to create these nitrogen fertilizers, they actually support fracking. So there's so many arms of the agricultural industry that is causing severe damage to the environment. We had this green revolution. It caused production spike. We also lost topsoil. Our food lost quality. And we got a lot of farmers who either had to like leave their own land and start working for big corporations or became in debt slavery to uh, corporate giants that owned their means of production. And then today we have GMOs. Industrial agriculture is said to feed the world, but actually it's small-scale organic farmers that feed the world. Because most of industrial farming is producing fuel and foodstuffs like processed food that's not even healthy for us. And these massive monocultures that are leaching pesticides into our waterways and like, destroying biodiversity and wildlife habitats... We need policies that are going to support existing small farmers, support a transition to beyond organic practices, and stop subsidizing industrial agriculture that is really not serving humanity at all. You often say that you believe in regenerative agriculture and not sustainable agriculture. What do you mean by that? As I explained, degenerative is deplete, destroy, kill. And then the natural response is, okay, let's make it sustainable, maintain, survive. But if you're maintaining something that is destructive, that's not really inspiring. And regenerative is this important step in between that says, no, let's repair the damage that we've caused, create new systems that will renew and create thriving uh, ecosystems. There's a few practices that we've figured out ecological and biological based science. For instance, do no-till. If you never leave the ground bare, but you use cover crops. If you have like polycultures or intercropping and use the biodiversity on your field, it's going to increase the soil microbial life that's going to support the plants and make them actually more nutrient mineral dense. And then also when you have healthy soil, you're going to repair the water cycle and repair the carbon cycle. So, I mean, a lot of people talk about, oh, we have too much carbon. No, no. carbon is the building block of life. Like, we need carbon. The problem is it's in the wrong place. It should be in soil, but instead it's in the atmosphere and it's in the ocean causing acidification. So what we need to do is use methods that are going to actually sequester carbon, put it right back into the soil where it belongs, where it can actually do good where it can serve to grow more living things that will make the earth greener and then, you know, less it cool the planet. And, uh, yeah. So basically what you're saying is that today agriculture is the problem, mm -hmm. whereas it should be the solution yes. or part of the solution for climate change. I think it's one of the most exciting solutions that exists. I mean, we have the um, so many different climate targets and they're basically not feasible if we don't change agriculture because they are reliant on these sort of ideas of technologies that we're going to somehow come up with that don't actually exist today. Whereas regenerative agriculture exists, holistic managed grazing exists, we can do that right now. We should. So tell us, who did you meet and can you give us some example of inspiring people you have had 
at Stockholm Food Movement. Yes, absolutely. We've had Gunnar Backman from Nordisk Ravora. I think his company is really inspiring because he's training farmers to bring back heritage crops that are native to Sweden, and then also inspiring them to grow things that traditionally we couldn't grow in Sweden, but because of climate change, now we can, like um, certain varieties of quinoa, so that we don't necessarily have to you know, ship quinoa from across the world in order to eat a very healthy product. He's created like a marketing strategy and sport for soil development um, with these farmers that is, you know, helping change the way we eat, which is really great. Other people we've had is Ellen Ernson Weiss from Food Loops, and she does a business-to-business food waste matchmaking. So if one company has a huge amount of potatoes or a huge amount of pineapple, she might connect them to a company that makes fruit juice and then they will use those pineapples. Or um, she also has Svinfika where she gets corporations to buy like bakery goods that just have tiny flaws and serve those at their fika. So that's pretty cool. We have had Johannes Kolberg from Paradisit. He talked about how we are manipulated in grocery stores when we go to do our shopping, which was super interesting. So he talked about how when you go, for instance, and you look at the chicken aisle, you see there's a super, super cheap chicken, there's a moderately priced chicken, and there's a super expensive crab organic chicken. Our brain, naturally, when we look at those three options, goes for the middle chicken. But the thing is, is that that moderately priced chicken is just as bad for the environment as the cheap chicken. But because it's, it's so much lower in price than the actual organic good for the environment chicken, we just cannot bring ourselves to do it. And so if you go to Paradisit, you don't have the options. You just have the crab chicken. And so then you just, that's the price of the chicken. You buy that chicken and you go home. That's sort of the philosophy behind that, his, his store. They make the selection for you, yeah. so you know you're responsibly buying when you go there. Right. We also had Rebecca Hagman with CoGrow, which match makes people that have land that don't want to garden with people who don't have land that do want to garden. So that's pretty cool. You can go and figure out a garden plan with somebody who isn't doing anything with their land and grow some vegetables for yourself. And I think that's really the atmosphere you want to create during those meetups is that it's all about joy. Yeah, I'm personally super interested with methods of growing outdoors because of all the side benefits, the positive effects you can have. But hydroponics, aquaponics, all these more high-tech innovative growing strategies, they are part of the solution too because they can localize our food supply and also because... In a doomsday scenario, we are going to need those methods of growing food too. Especially because in Sweden, it's dark during half of the year. And if you want to grow food locally, then you need to find alternatives, right? Definitely. There are ways that we can maximize food production in the summer because we do have a lot of light. And as climate change makes Sweden warmer, we can actually grow more and more food a lot of the places that we rely on for food production right now are going to get too hot. We have to think about ways that Sweden might actually be necessary as a food place to produce food, which is interesting. How do you think this Sweden ecosystem compares to what exists in other countries? 
In addition to organizing Stockholm Food Movement, I'm a project manager for research on alternative food networks. What we're looking at is why alternative food networks are not as popular in Sweden. In fact, probably a lot of people right now are wondering, what is an alternative food network? In Sweden today, 40% of Swedes buy because of health and sustainability reasons. Super interesting. But also 95% of food is bought in traditional grocery store chains. So in a lot of other countries like France and Italy and Germany, even in the U.S., there's a much bigger percentage of food that is bought directly from farmers. Part of Swedish culture is a trust in the government and in corporations. They have your best interests. A lot of Swedes are falling to some marketing ploys that say, this is natural, this is good, and it feeds into their like health and sustainability ethics, but it, it's not necessarily as good as they think it is. And if they knew more, I want them to be more curious about how much percentage farmers actually get when you buy their product in the store versus when you buy the product directly from them. There are alternative food networks in Sweden. They're not nearly as developed as other countries, but they do exist, so you can seek them out. So what is exactly an alternative food network? Does it mean that you buy outside of a regular retailer? Mm -hmm. Or does it mean that there is a fair price paid to the farmer? There's four different ways that people define the alternative food network. It's One, it's outside of the agri-industrial complex. It's more directly from the farmer. And if there is a middleman, their percentage is very, very small. Another part is the local dimension, so how many food miles does it travel. Some alternative food networks don't consider this as, as important. They're more concerned with, for instance, the ecological dimension, so is it organic, or just that they can get a much fairer price for the farmer. It can be a CSA, Community Supported Agriculture, so in that case you would pay a monthly amount and you support the farmer for year-round, and then during like harvesting time, mm -hmm. April to November maybe, you get a box of vegetables. But now in Sweden especially, there are more and more systems that are really benefiting the consumer and making it as convenient as possible for them. So you, rather than getting a basket of goods, you order what you want, but the farmer can say like a week ahead of time, this is what we have available. And then you make your order and then a week later you meet the farmer and maybe swish them directly or pay through a platform. So those yeah. networks are also booming here in Sweden at yeah. the moment. I think Reco is probably the oldest one. Then there's Pool Farm which requires a little bit more um, action on your part because um, they want to pool consumers and then they pool producers so they, and then you match mix um, between the two. And then there's other platforms like Local Food Nodes or Foodla or Fuever. <laughs> Would you say that the mindset is now changing from trusting retailers and trusting that the organic label is enough to I want to know more about where my food is coming from and I'm ready to get more involved. Definitely globally, maybe a little bit slower in Sweden. At least that's what we're hearing from our um, uh, alternative food network interviews that we're doing. So is it the purpose of the Stockholm food movement to raise awareness around those issues and also bring civil society on board of, of the change? 
we operate in a very tech world right now, and there's a lot of startup that are going after venture capital, and they're going to disrupt the food system. But a lot of them don't necessarily have any ecological knowledge. They don't necessarily have any understanding of what it takes to be a farmer or to farm. They don't necessarily have all the information about these new regenerative practices. So we try to make the space as open as possible to all sorts of people working on the food system, but challenge them to just think a little bit more deeply about the problem they're trying to solve and maybe the solutions that already exist and the people that are already involved in trying to solve it so that we can really empower, just be a little bit more self-aware of how we are or not saving the world with our startups. We talked a little bit about what makes a difference here in Sweden. Do you think Sweden also has things that you haven't seen elsewhere? The fact that Sweden cares so much about the health and sustainability and are willing to pay for it is really inspiring. Yes, I think they should be a little bit more curious and maybe critical of the system. But if you vote support a system and support change within that bigger system that could have a bigger impact. So I think in, you know, in America or a lot of other countries, this sort of aggressive, like, our government's not for us, you know, like, I don't want to pay taxes or all of those different ideas. It's just sort of shooting yourself in the foot because the whole point of government is it's supposed to represent you and help you and serve the, our common land as well as possible. There is a real drive from government, for example, this Matus conference about how should we plan the food in the course of the next few years. There is this vision and this uh, consciousness, it seems. One of our best speakers also was uh, Sarah Jervis, and she is part of the Diet for a Green Planet, which is an initiative in Sortitalia where they're having all the public cafeterias try to source locally, source organically, serve more whole grains, more vegetables, and it's a really great diet. And around Europe, they're actually wanting to learn more about it and how it can be implemented in their um, municipalities. So that's a super awesome thing in Sweden. In this Sodotelio initiative, they also want to empower people for them to grow their own garden and start to be self-sufficient almost government in Sweden expect a crisis or they know that this can happen and in that case there is this fear that Sweden being so reliant on importation for food then at some point you need population to produce themselves more. We need to figure out ways to make people want to be farmers again. The humongous majority of the farmers that we still have in Sweden are at retirement age. That's not good for food security. So Sortitalia is lucky because it's next to Jarna. It's the sort of the birthplace of the biodynamic movement in Sweden. So there are a lot of organic farmers and that sort of culture. So they can source locally from there. It might be a little trickier in other parts of Sweden. Do you have an advice for us as consumer? What should we do? What should we change in our behavior if we want to be active into the food transition? I do think we should be more conscious about our choices. We can look for alternative food networks, sign up for local food app, go to a reco ring and buy from farmers. We can go and join CoGrow and grow our own food if we live in an apartment. 
like that is available to you. Um, if you have food in your refrigerator that's going to waste, why not put it on oleo before it goes to waste and share it with your neighbor? I don't know. I think there's almost an over-reliance on individuals changing their behavior. And what we really have is a systems problem. So we need to vote, demand our politicians understand what regenerative agriculture is, and work harder to get them to support policies. I'd like to open our perspective and ask you if you could share something that inspires you. I am inspired by entrepreneurs that go for more complex solutions that can't be explained in a one-minute elevator pitch, but are going to actually have a, a lasting impact in many, many, many different um, ways. I am inspired by people who are willing to make people a little uncomfortable if they are sharing and spreading like the truth. I am inspired by permaculture by people that are making their lives as regenerative as possible. Do you have a quote that you'd like to I share do. with us? Um, in grad school, we had an activist named Kevin Danaher, and he said, Capital is like cow shit. Stacked up, it stinks. Spread out, it makes things grow. <laughs> really, really great quote. <laughs> Perfectly fits this conversation, too. Exactly. Uh-huh. Last question I'd like to ask you is if you have a book that you recommend. I read the book Kiss the Ground by Josh Tickle. It's actually also associated with an organization, Kiss the Ground, that does work in California to promote regenerative agriculture. If you really want to understand sort of the degenerative history and then the regenerative future we can have, it really lays it out in a really nice, easy format, and it's a very inspiring book. So read it. Thank you so much for your time, Andrea. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thanks a lot to Andrea Stover for this conversation and thank you all for listening. Stockholm Food Movement is an independent podcast. You can support it by sharing it or adding five stars on iTunes so more people can discover it. Check out also when the next meetup is taking place at the Impact Hub. See you soon.